Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 29th episode of the Truth Island podcast. Starting in the 1960s, a new string of books and films began to overtake the American public, glorifying a figure known as the anti-hero or a protagonist that follows an unconventional path to pursuing their goals and pursuits. Films such as A Clockwork Orange shock censors both in Great Britain and the United States in the way that evil could be so casually portrayed and comically at that. Heroes such as Rorschach from Alan Moore's Watchmen and Frank Miller's Batman in the 1980s gave us a huge contrast from the sparkling white knight of Christopher Reeve's Superman in years past. In more recent times, it has not only been anti-heroes that have taken center stage, but straight up evil villains that have come to dominate both the large cinematic screens and our very own television sets. Most notably the characters of Tony Soprano in The Sopranos, Walter White in the hit series Breaking Bad, and Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. Indeed, we are living in a time that has proven to be radically different from the cowboys, knights, and all things reminiscent from our mythological past. But what is it exactly that has made us so drawn to all things evil? What makes Jeffrey Epstein's documentary the most watched on Netflix? Why are there thousands of documentaries about Adolf Hitler, but almost none about Sir Thomas More, Benjamin Franklin, Confucius, Siddhartha Gudma, or just about anyone else who has dared to dream of a better humanity. While evil can certainly be mesmerizing with tales of betrayal and deceit, what lessons does humanity take away from all of this, if any? Joining me to help sort this issue, I am once again joined by Kenny. Kenny, please help me figure out why us Americans are so obsessed with evil. Thank you, Aaron. Aaron, when I was a kid, I um, used to watch a lot of Nigerian films. And in Nigerian films, the good guy and the bad guy were always, you know, very clear cut. Um, the bad guy trying to steal money from his brother and wreak havoc on, you know, on, on the town's girls and, and, and all that. And the good guy is very prayerful, you know, very um, compassionate and all that. And, and usually... Parents talk to the kids and they want them to, you know, they want them to tell them the moral of the story. Say, okay, who was the good guy? Who was the bad guy? And, you know, is it good to be like the bad guy? You're like, no. Is it good to be like the good guy? Yes. And coming to America, things changed because I noticed what, you're, what you just mentioned is absolutely true. And I saw this was especially with the film um, No Country for Old Men. That that movie was a huge hit in America. I actually wasn't it, the biggest fan of it, but it did really well in the box office. I, I bet it did, and I and, and I'm, I'm with you on that one. I did not, um, I did not enjoy it, and, and and I would say that visually it was very interesting, but the story and the um, I would say the the implications of a film like that bothered me. Hmm. Speak um, more about that because uh, it's funny. I, I was dating a girl at the time and I, I saw this movie with her and I told her, you know, I, I really don't like this film all that much. And she actually thought I was dumb. She, she said, Aaron, you're too thick headed. You don't get it. You don't understand the, the, the beauty of this or you don't understand the, the, the hidden meaning behind it. And I was like, um, I'm just not feeling it with you. But I'm curious to hear uh, like, <laughs> what, what is it about the film that you didn't like either, Kenny? 
My good man, I did not like the total um, hopelessness. Mm. I did not like the, I don't like to see the bad guy get away. I just, I don't like it. <laughs> and it's not, <laughs> and it's not that, it's not like, oh, you know, I mean, I, I mentioned to you before that I'm pretty pessimistic about the world, but I, I don't think that that's really how the world works. Right. I think that you may get away from the cops, sure, but life catches up to you one way or the other. Um, one of the greatest stories of her, um, I read was Dostoevsky's Crime, Crime and Punishment. punishment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this guy gets away with murder. The cops couldn't catch him. They couldn't find him, except for one cop who's, you know, who suspected him but had no way of proving it. But his conscience, his heart, his innermost being, his psychology kept messing with him and kept calling him, um, calling him out. Now, that's a horrible way to live. But I think films like that take away, take away those kinds of uh, illustrations to the public. You know, it's, I'm glad that you mentioned that book, uh, Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky, because you have a, uh, an, uh, you know, someone who commits a heinous act, but the entire book is how guilty and how remorseful they think and how it plagues them and they can't sleep at night. But when you watch a yeah. movie like uh, No Country for Old Men, you, the audience is given this impression that, oh, there are these mythological figures out there in our world that can kill and not feel anything. And yeah. I, I kind of feel like that's a very dangerous idea to be floating around uh, in, in the general public, right? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, for a long time, here's, it's been going on for a while now. And if you notice, this is how, this is how it's done because it's not so much that these characters are evil. It, 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 there's a small twist is that these characters are cool. Yes, right? yes, amazingly and, cool. And that changes everything. It doesn't, because I, believe it or not, we're living in a world that is almost very high school and everybody wants to be cool, you know? One of my friends describes cool as being in the know. And people want to be in the know. They want to have that wink, that lean, that, you know, um, that, Fonz, um, Fonzie, what's that thing he does with his Fun. fingers? Hey. Hey, you know? <laughs> People want to be like that, you know? And if you tell them that this is the avenue, the good isn't the avenue. I mean, most movies, when, you, when they portray the good guy, he's, he's a weakling or he's, you know, some sort of a very, very un, unmasculine in a way. But he's feminine, I mean? yeah. He's feminine, yeah, you know? And... Um, and nobody wants to be like that. Please. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned the Fonz because he was a cool guy, but at the end of every episode, he always had a good heart. So he would act cool, but then if he did something bad, he'd feel bad about it. Or at the end of the day, he would save the day with some brilliant idea. And you had this idea where cool and being a good person uh, were one and the same. But now we've gone to this place where you have to be bad and callous, and that is cool. And there's no way that you can have empathy, but still be like the Fonz and be cool. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the, that's one of the places where writers are failing today, is that I think that there are certain writers who have, a, how you say, the perfect balance. They know how to write that cool in a good character and make you admire that, and people become what they admire. I, one, the, first thing, the first thing I expect in a writer is honesty. I don't expect anything else. 
if you're an honest writer, I think you're going to be a good writer. You know what I mean? You may not have a great vocabulary. You may not be how you say the, the greatest, um, the greatest at even correcting your own um, spellings and edits, but what you have to say is going to be important because you're seeing the world accurately and you're trying to express that accurately. But often today, writers don't do that. They have a very twisted or screwed up vision of the world. And then that's what they end up, you know, portraying to the, through, through mass media. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the, if, you, if you actually judge the amount of evil that you see on television compared with the actual evil committed in real life, it is completely skewed. Like you would, you would actually think that we're all like, we're all, all of your neighbors are sociopaths and they're the next Dexter or one of these other like horrendous serial Zodiac like killers. Whereas these people are actually anomalies. They're statistically outliers, you know, from a statistical perspective, people who are serial killers or doing any of these fiendish things are outliers, but we seem to have them overly represented. And I'm wondering if that's like, impacting the interaction we have with strangers because now we're sort of more wary of the people around us because we're being bombarded with all of these images we've been you know they've been warning us for a long time that when people have an unhealthy exposure to pornography that they tend to take those fantasy worlds and bring them into the real real world yeah so you think that every girl next door is waiting for you to come sleep with her well, why do we think that that doesn't happen in other forms of media? Because if it's, this is kind of like violent porn, you know, it's like violence porn, excuse me, in that everybody out there is exposed to their, you know, to films where everybody's neighbor is a serial killer or, a, you know, a badass assassin waiting, just waiting to, you know, uh, make his way into your life. <laughs> And so I think it does have an effect on, 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 on the general population, yeah. Now, we had talked offline a little bit that maybe our movies of like the 1930s, 40s, and 50s were a little too cliche, a little too black and white, right? Like, oh, yeah. here's the good guy and here's, here's the, bad, the guy. bad guy. And that does, like, I, I'll be honest, like I could see that getting boring and I could see that being uh, redundant. Could you talk a little bit about what we call the gray area in films and movies. Yeah, one of the best, I, I was telling you earlier, one of the, one of the best uh, depictions of this for me is Hayao Miyazaki. Now, um, he's the one, he does Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, Kiki's Delivery Service, and, and, and so many others. And in Hayao Miyazaki's films, what you find is that there really isn't a clear bad guy. I mean, sure, you have a protagonist, of course, someone that the story is centered on, but the quote-unquote antagonist, at the end of the film, when you look at it, isn't really an antagonist. It's just a person who has, you know, has their own interests in life, sure. and they're trying to pursue those interests, and they find that their interests clash with the protagonist's interests, you know, and, and, and the whole film is usually about them trying to figure it out. There's only one film by Hayao Miyazaki that I think there was a that was a clear-cut bad guy, and I believe that is, um, yeah, Laputa, the the city in the sky, or something like that. And that, you know, and like I have no problem with that at all because I think that um, it, it isn't a black and white world in the sense that oh, here's the good person, here's the bad person. 
It's just that they have differing interests. Like, let's say you have two kids at home and they're arguing, well, whose turn is it to play with this toy or something like that? There's no evil kid and there's no good kid. It's just that they each from their own perspectives want to play with that toy and they're doing everything in their power to do that. And that's, that, that's kind of like the story we have in life. We have people always trying to pursue things and from their vantage point, they're the good guys, right? So I, I think that's like a healthy space for, for, for people to interact with where, okay, there is no evil, but people, people can kind of conflict with one another and have differing goals and differing points of views. No, I, I can understand that. But I would say that I do believe there is such a thing as evil. But I don't think it's what we think it is. Mm. So, for example, you know, you watch, um, I don't know if you pay attention to the politics. I try not to, but every now and then it just, you know, it's right there in my face. There are, you hear the Republicans call the Democrats evil. And you hear the um, Democrats call the Republicans evil. Sure. But these are just people, this, this is the situation. They, they, they simply just literally have conflicting interests, you know? And, but you find that whenever you call someone evil, you're doing two things. The first thing you're doing is you're saying, I am good because, because I called it evil, I must be good. Right. The second thing you're saying is because they are evil, the only remedy is er eradication because when it comes to evil, you cannot redeem that which is evil. It's evil, for goodness sakes. So when <laughs> it's evil, it's destruction. So you're giving yourself license and everybody on your team license to destroy um, anything that you've pointed out to be evil. I actually really like that. I think if we viewed uh, Republicans and Democrats as being characters in spirit away and, and sort of existing in this gray area, like, okay, they have conflicting interests, they have conflicting agendas and each of them thinks that they're right and 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 pursuing what they believe to be holy then yeah. as long as you use logic you know as long as you use truth then yeah. it's possible to convert these people and that's a and that's an excellent distinction kenny that evil cannot be converted it can't be changed it can't be reasoned with it can't be it can't have a ah oh my goodness i see the error of my way but 99% yeah. of us as humans can be reasoned with and can yes. sort of see the error of our ways. Yeah, at least I would, I would hope so. Um, so that's, that's one of my biggest problems with, with evil is that, you know, it, it does bring on a very crusade-like a crusade mindset. And so um, I think that can be very dangerous. And that, that might be one of the reasons why in like the 1960s and 70s, we kind of abandoned the, you know, the crusade like cowboy film where, you know, Clint Eastwood comes in there and shoots up the whole town and then like he's the bringer of righteousness because there is danger with those kind of films as well, right? Like there is yes. like a very, very dangerous, like if you, especially like from a historical perspective, if you, um, a, a lot of these movies are guilty of picturing the cowboys as being the righteous and the Indians as being the nefarious group. And yeah, that right yeah. off, right off the bat is a very dangerous um, kind of uh, story arc where one, one, you know, like there's no, you know, there's no in-between characters at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that it's still felt today. The effects of those movies are still felt today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But thinking of this, you think that maybe we're starting to go a little bit too much in the other direction because I, I, I think that 
the gray area is really a wonderful space to be in. And it, it requires us to be, I think the gray area makes us think the most, right? If you have a black and white uh, story arc with these are the good guys, these are the bad guys, there's no thought, you're not really thinking, you just accept for face value that this guy's going to do bad things. But then film and, and entertainment that exists in the gray area uh, makes us think. But do you think that we're just moving too far to this other direction where evil like like up is down and down is up <laughs> <laughs> i think so honestly because it's kind of like you know when you you ever had uh, the, the whole story about the rebellious teenager you know his whole family grows up eating vanilla ice cream and he thinks you know what i'm done with vanilla ice cream i'm chocolate all the way yeah. all the way chocolate and then from then on he raises his own kids to eat chocolate ice cream and never lets them eat vanilla because that's what his family did and he's sick and tired of vanilla and his kids grow up to rebel against him and start eating vanilla and it goes on and on and on and so i think it's kind of like that we have these weird you know is it pendulum swings from you know from all from one extreme to the other and i'm not saying that there aren't people who who are in the in-between it's just that there, I believe there are very few of those kinds of people. So um, I, I would say that, yeah, it's, 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 it's more, it, it seems like a reaction, you know, like a, like a reaction to those cheesy, corny, um, quote unquote, I think corny is fine. I like corny, mm. you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's, it's, it's a reaction to those. At least it can be. Yeah. You know, it's funny, if I, if I was talking to Claire, we would say that this is an example of the baby boomers kind of rebelling against the uh, World War II generation, whereas like the World yeah. War II generation loved the, the Clint Eastwood sort of uh, allies versus the evil Nazi films. And then the baby yeah. boomers are like, whoa, well, that's too cliche and boring. Let's, let's turn it topsy-turvy and, and, and put it uh, in this other way. I, I think that there is also, though, I think there is also um, a contingent of people out there that would say that evil is like within our nature, that, that we are prone to violence and we are prone to this level of excitement. And I'll actually give you uh, an example from my own life. So when I was in middle school, there were a lot of fights on a Friday, okay? So when you were in middle school, you would have a very tense week. And then two boys would be like after school and they would fight on Friday. And, you know, these things could be, you know, they could be broken up very quickly or it could end with one of the boys, you know, breaking their nose or, or be covered in blood or something like that. Yeah. And what I noticed though, is that it wasn't that just uh, boys would fight on, you know, on, on a given Friday. It's that no matter who you were, everybody would stop and watch like no matter how no matter how good of a person you were and i would even see like mothers with strollers even they would like stop and just could not help but but watch these two 13 year old boys fight one another and i think that the um the makers of these evil films would argue see it's actually in our human nature to engage in evil. It's in our human nature to like to, to see this blood. It's in our human nature to start war with one another. So how do you respond to that, Kenny? Yeah, I would say that it's, uh, I think that's the, the, the whole argument about, you know, evil being in our human nature is, I think it makes sense. Now, the one, hopefully the person isn't saying that people are totally evil. 
right. because that's not the case. So I do believe that people have this innate weirdness towards to to achieve bad things. You know what I mean? But a situation like that, when it comes to violence, for example, violence isn't always evil in that we may be intrigued by violence. I mean, you have a car accidents here and there and here maybe on the street and everybody rushes out and it's a crowd, it's a crowd and the ambulance has to like, you know, push people aside to, <laughs> to get to the dying person or the hurt person. And you wonder like, why are all these people here? Well, it may simply be that, yeah, they, they, there is a curiosity, but it's not necessarily that they want to see the carnage and the blood. They just want to see those things that they rarely ever see. Like walking down the street, nobody, we rarely ever see, you know, dead bodies or hurt people or cars crashed and stuff like that. And so it's like novelty. But I, I think that people are in fact capable of, capable of evil. But I also think that people are capable of great good. So the person who points to the people who are watching the accidents and saying, well, look at that, look at that. Well, I'll point to the ambulance and say, well, look at that. It's coming, isn't it? And so, so either way, uh, I, I, I hope he's, uh, I hope I've stuck it to him. <laughs> I, <was just> messing. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I think that like, yes, we are drawn to things that are out of the ordinary. Like we all have yeah. like, you know, we all, all go to work and then you see like an interesting fight going on. And then you're like, well, that's out of the ordinary. Let me pay attention to that. But I'm wondering like, with like, we have a lot of these like YouTube videos of, you know, person freaks out in a Walmart or whatever it is. And it's coming to the point that it's like, it's not really that much out of the ordinary anymore. Like this oh. stuff is all over the place. And yet we're still gluing our eyes to this stuff because in defense of these uh, movie makers, right? The movie yeah. maker will say, well, the only reason I'm making things that are so violent and so inherently evil is because that's what people are going to pay money to see. It's not, I'm yeah. like, they, they will make it seem as if they are the helpless victim in all this and that they're just being forced to do what the almighty dollar tells them to. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Okay. Well, when you, you had mentioned something about YouTube, you know, these, these YouTube videos about people freaking out and all that, I, I've seen those and I've seen, I've seen horrible things about how you say, uh, and a lot of these are actually supposed to be funny. They're. Yeah. I mean, the way, you know, it's funny because it's not funny, but rather sad that we package evil with humor now. The, the two actually are seeming to go hand in hand where somebody falls off their bike and people are laughing at that. And, and it's like, geez, that, might, that person might have brain damage or that person may have uh, broken their ribs or something. And we, we're finding this humorous. And it, it's almost like we're using humor to desensitize the human experience. That's how you do it. That is absolutely how you do it. If you can get somebody to laugh at something that they considered horrific, the, the, the next time they see that thing, it's not going to be as horrific as they initially held. So a people who begin to laugh at, um, who begin to laugh at that which is evil, find themselves in turn becoming desensitized to evil and then being able to freely commit those evils. This is why comedians are some of the most powerful and necessary agents in a society because they have the power to make us 
respond properly to evil by mocking evil rightly you know or they all them but they also have the power to make us actually quite evil ourselves by mocking that which is good and and making sure that we feel that mockery when you when when we go when we go you know along in our own in our own lives to do those goods so it's hard for a man to feed the poor when he himself has laughed at another man who's fed the poor absolutely and i think that like for example let's say you have a very corrupt billionaire some very powerful evil person and a comedian gets on stage and makes fun of that person that comedian is actually doing a great service because they are getting us to laugh and and be aware of something that is harmful to our world and bringing humor yeah. around it and, and that creates awareness but i've noticed that i don't even think as of late maybe in the 90s and 2000s I've seen a lot of comedy that sort of makes fun of the weak. Like I've seen jokes made about handicapped people. I've seen jokes made about people that are living in poverty. And that has also kind of become normalized where it's okay to make fun of these very weak and fragile figures in our world. And I don't see what good that, what good is coming of that. I, I think that you're making a vulnerable population that has already been vulnerable, even more vulnerable. Yeah. Well, now it depends. It depends on how, um, and I agree with you, by the way, because I know how dark this thing can get, but now it depends. So for example, um, when, when a kid, when a kid breaks his leg, right. And the parent rushes out screaming because she's seen it, he or she has seen it happen. And they come out screaming, the kid is terrified and he starts crying and thinks that, oh my goodness, it's actually really bad because now they've taken cues from the parents. Okay, if mom or dad is this upset about this, this must be a big deal. And then they feel that. But if, if the parent comes out, doesn't scream, comes to the kid, you know, does what he or she needs to do, make sure they're, make sure, you know, make sure, make sure they're all right, takes them to the hospital and all that. The kid has a, some sort of a different response in that they, you find that they, it's not that the, they're going to cry and the, the pain is going to be there, but they're not going to be as afraid and as terrified or even as troubled as they would have, as, as they would have been. Sometimes humor does that even for those who are weaker, those who are in, you know, less fortunate situations, those who are in um, harder situations, especially when done by a friend. So and, I, I think I, I hear what you're saying. And I, yeah. I think that like, for example, let's say you have a boy that's on a bike and yeah. he falls down and he hurts himself, it might be a good idea for him to kind of, as long as the injuries are minor, to laugh at himself and be like, well, boy, that was a stupid move, or man, I shouldn't have gone down that ramp. And that humor is, is, is protective in a way, right? It's like yeah. it's making light. And, and I, I see that from a survival standpoint. And I, I think when it comes to minor injuries or it comes to like minor little goofball mistakes, totally fine. Like laugh it off. You know, that's, that's, you know, boys will be boys kind of stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, to totally get that. And like, you know, and, and, and rightfully so, like if you fall off your bike and you cry for three hours, 
that's not really helping you evolve. Like you're not, you're not being prepared for the, the like adult world if that's the case. Yeah. What I am seeing though, is I'm seeing people being, you know, there used to be this show called, I don't know if it still exists, like America's funniest home videos or whatever. And I think mm. YouTube kind of took over from this where you're watching people seriously being humiliated, seriously being hurt um, oh, yeah. and being damaged in, ways that will scar them for for years if not life and that is they're clearly like it's one thing if the person in the video is laughing at themselves and then you kind of laugh with them and everything's okay folks yeah now you're getting all of these videos of the person you know in agonizing pain and then everyone else laughing at them i yeah that i that i understand and that is that is what our society is becoming brav we're, I mean, we're, we're becoming, um, how you say, very desensitized to the, uh, to the pains of others, and we are becoming cruel and unkind. And here's the problem with that, because you can't, it's, it's not you can't, you can, but it's going to be hard to speak up against it. And here's why. Anybody who speaks up against a harsh culture is automatically seen as weak. Yes, so yes. If you speak up and say, this isn't right. You shouldn't treat them this way. You shouldn't treat her that way. You shouldn't say this to him, whatever. And automatically people are going to say, well, you just don't like it because you're a pansy. Like, no, no, no. You don't understand. I'm not a pansy. I'm just, you know, I'm just telling you that there's something called kindness. And like, ah, kindness. You're not, you're not kind. You're, you know, and then, and they go on and they, they humiliate you and degrade you and so forth. And you find that it becomes very hard to, to deal with a harsh culture. Yeah, and they think that, you know, you're not real. Like, they'll also accuse you of, like, well, you, you Kenny, live in a fantasy world. Like, uh, no country for old men, that's real life. That's exactly how the real world operates, where people will just kill you like that. And, you know, I'm like, no, sir, that's not real life at all. And, and that, that is just as distorted as some fantasy movie with unicorns and 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 magical elves and stuff like that i I think that both of those things are just completely out of whack and out of tune with reality yeah i I believe so and you know one of the films um that i like um that does that does this very well is jojo rabbit i believe is by uh taika watiti and it's about this kid who is you know who grew up who grows up in you know in nazi germany and it's his transformation from a hardcore Nazi Hitler supporter to this young man, you know, risking his life to keep a young Jewish girl safe in his closet. And it's, and it's actually, it's, it's, it's very interesting because it's, I think it's, it's registered as a comedy, but it's really, it's a comedy, sure. But it's also pretty darn tragic. Um, But you find that there's, there's this, maturity in the film where the gray areas those grays are very well explored and very well dealt with dealt with yeah i mean i i'm all for about the gray area i'm all, you know like i said earlier i think that if you've got a character who's quote like uh like for example a nazi but there's one nazi guard who does something nice and like snuggles a piece of bread and and you're kind of showing the nuance you're showing that like okay you can be a part of this evil system, but maybe there was one Nazi guard who did something nice. I'm all for that because that's actually exploring 
humanity and all of its glory and all of its complexity that like, okay, you have this evil person, but here's some instances, or maybe you have an evil character who's doing something evil, but then they treat their wife and they treat their son really nicely, or they treat that, you know, like, I think that kind of stuff is really interesting because then you you see, you know, you see that like, and that, that, that kind of moves away from like the Clint Eastwood, you know, it's that guy's evil to the bone where he, he, he even hits his wife and stuff. Whereas that I think is very, very accurate and really touches upon it. Getting back to these ideas of the, of the pure evil movies and the pure evil, yeah. evil TV shows. I'm wondering what kind of impact that will have on successive generations who are actually seeing evil characters as the primary protagonists Maybe not in Disney films. I think Disney films still keep it pure and clean. But I'm wondering, as we have more and more people becoming teenagers and they're seeing movies like Joker, which, by the way, I actually kind of like that film quite a bit. But I'm wondering, but I I think I have the emotional maturity to understand the, the complexity of the character and so forth. But I'm wondering if younger generations might be seeing movies like that or they're starting to watch Breaking Bad and starting to watch The Sopranos if they're going to have the reasoning skills and the ability separate these like like that 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 these villainous characters are in fact evil and you should not emulate them in any way well i i, I hope not i and I, I would hope that this is why they put the uh the the rated r on some of these films you know and hopefully it's not just for the gore and the violence but for the ideas and the ramifications of those ideas on young minds and one thing that's pretty awesome um, is that it gives an opportunity for parents to step in and say, and actually, I mean, like growing up, you know, our parents would you know, always ask us, or at least not always, but often ask us, what is the moral of the story? But even if it's not that clear cut, but to step in as a guiding voice for what's going on here, um, because you find that these characters are incredibly attractive. They are, you know, uh, they, 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 they're charming. They, I mean, they do a lot of horrible things, but you find that before the film is done, you really see, you, you, you feel this sympathy for them. You, you feel connected to them in a way. And um, I would say that if it goes unchecked, and it most likely will, because this is, you know, this is life. It, it will, I mean, we're already seeing it, and the hope is that it doesn't get worse, but, you know, it will affect the, the mind, the psyche of the, uh, of, the, of the greater population. Yeah, there's definitely a correlation between uh, these characters having a lot of money and having a lot of power and having women yeah. at their disposal. And I think that th- that sets a bad tone of like, oh, in order to get these good things like money and women and so forth, I must do these evil things. And you, you kind of even see this in that movie, uh, Wall Street, or even like the Wolf of Wall Street, where it's almost implied, like I think in the Wolf of Wall Street and all these other films, it's almost implied that if you're a good person, you will never become wealthy. It's just like you will never have a, a mansion. You'll never become a wealthy person just by being a good person and inventing something that's incredibly useful to society, right? We only look at the wealthy people who do it some evil means through Wall Street. We never look at the people who became wealthy because they actually invented something, a useful patent or something useful that helped us. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it's, it, co- it comes back to the cool. It comes back to, I mean, power, money, 
and sex. It comes back to those things that we think are incredibly cool. And we're, and, you know, and you make, you say, okay, the, you know, that, that old, that old, um, the shirt that says, uh, come to the dark side, we have cookies. It's it's the same thing here. It's just saying, come to the dark side, come to the evil side or to this quote unquote evil side. We have money, power and sex, you know? And, but it's a, it's, it is true. It is true to some extent, but it's not the entire truth because there are good characters that are incredibly cool and have the good things of life. You know, one of the reasons we all like Batman is because he's good and cool. <laughs> yes. Batman is still the most loved superhero on the face of the earth. Yeah. What? Let me, let me ask you this. Superman can fly. Superman can shoot laser beams out of his eye. He's, I mean, he has the strength of goodness knows how many men he's uh, he's upright. He's, you know, he's all American. Sure. Yet Batman is much more loved, you know, than Superman. I think and now, won- yeah. Yeah, now. And, and we're wondering why that is. It's because Batman is, Batman is the good that is cool. Yes, yes. I like that. I like that. He, he is, he, he does, he breaks some rules. He breaks people's arms and, and so forth. He operates in night, which night is usually not typical, uh, associated with like goodness. Usually goodness operates in the purity of the light or whatever, but yeah. he operates at night, but he, at the very least, like what separates him from, let's say some other nefarious character is that his his means is a little crooked, but his objective is ultimately good. good. Final final point that I want to talk to you about: Do you think that we should start maybe fixing our quotas a little bit? That we start producing movies about more historically good people? Because I mentioned in my intro, we got like a thousand Hitler documentaries and and, and the Third Reich, this and that. Do you think yes, that sir. we we owe because when you watch those things, you may you may hear a wonderful tale uh, that's interesting of twist and deception and like um, unmasking evil and all this other stuff but these are not really guides and they're not really role models so I'm wondering do you think that we should like change the quota like we should have an x amount of like good person films like Mother Teresa or or Gandhi films you know and sort of balance those things out with like the evil documentaries and so forth how does that sound to you well no I think I I really like those Hitler documentaries. So <laughs> okay, so uh, this is a this is a biased opinion, of course. Okay, so um, no, thank you for I, being honest, seriously. I think that it has very little to do with the movies being put out, and here's why. In that, I think it begins with the, the younger lads. It begins yeah. with the with the youth. In that. A steady heart and a steady mind can see anything, go anywhere, and never change because they are steady. So if you watch a thousand Hitler documentaries, you're not going to start drawing swastikas on your forehead, you know, and um, quoting my comps. Some, some people, but I think there, there might be a, a contingent of, you know, if you think of, I think, what was his name? Dylan Roof, uh, the the mass killer who, who I believe shot up a church or something. 
I, I think he kind of fell into that category where he was the kid that watched like a thousand Hitler documentaries and he, he did just that. Now you're right, most people probably have the straight and narrow mindset where that stuff won't affect them, but I'm wondering, you know. No, no, I am saying, I'm saying that most people will be affected by that. Oh, you're saying, okay, got I'm it. saying most people will be affected by that, but the steady mind and the steady hearts won't. And that that's what we have to hopefully raise young men and young women to have steady minds and steady hearts. Mm. So that when, no matter what they see, no matter where they go, they know what their values are. And these are the kind of writers, these are the kind of writers that grow up and start writing actually good things. Because um, you write what your philosophy is. Your philosophy always informs your, 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 your literature, you know? Sure. It always informs what you write and how, at least, um, I would say for most people, I know some writers who actually do the opposite, but for the most part, it informs how you, you know, how you, how you write about um, the events of the world. And so I think it, it really comes back down to young lads and young women um, being nurtured, being raised, being strengthened to be strong, to be wise, and, um, um, and having beautiful minds. I think I think that's really eloquently put. Um, I, I think that they need to have maybe let's say a healthy diet of like maybe your cliche Disney movies, and then maybe a healthy diet of movies like Spirited Away that that deal with the gray area. And yeah. once they have that healthy diet of like good versus evil, gray area, then they might be able to tolerate a few evil, beautiful evil movies, right? I yeah. think that makes perfect sense. Kenny, thank you so much for being on the show once again. Aaron, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This concludes the 29th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.